David, thank you very much for your prayer. But the Lord understood that he had changed my mind on what I'm going to preach. I don't want to go to Romans chapter 10 right now. Find the opening of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 1. My dear brothers, I know what time it is. And for those of you watching or listening to this, my introduction to the genealogy of Jesus Christ will be short for reasons known to us. I want to be very simple and just encourage you and me to love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more like we should. The New Testament of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You look at your Bible, and you can see that the Old Testament is four times as large as the New. Ah, but good things come in small packages. Because what we have in the New Testament is glorious indeed. The Old Testament was just pointing to it with shadows and figures. But in the New Testament, we have the express image of God Himself in the face of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want us to think upon Him. Please don't be disappointed in that I am not turning to Romans 10 right now. I want to go here. And I believe the Lord is leading me here and we'll trust Him for that. I read this first verse and it's just wonderful. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Son of David the son of Abraham. This New Testament starts out with something different. The Old Testament started out with, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This one starts out with, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The Old Testament presented God and us. The New Testament presents a man in between us, a great high priest, a mediator, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the son of one of those men of the Old Testament. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of another man of the Old Testament. He's the son of David. So we have God presented to us, the Creator, the Judge of all the earth, and we come to the New Testament and find out that He has sent His Son to be the Savior of His people from their sins. And we should rejoice. Brethren, just a few nights ago, we studied our magnificent matchmaker. And His mercy in marriages in the Bible and in our own lives. And I hope that was encouraging to you. No young person in this church should be hopeless. No young person in this church should not now have a litany or a list of those in the Bible that God was merciful to and those in our midst that God was merciful to. And for those of you that were in the older section, I'm sorry that there were not captions and the speed of the slides slowed down so that everyone could recognize you because some of you have changed. But the Lord's been good. And he's been been wonderful, and I'm thankful for his goodness to me. But brethren, the greatest marriage of all is our marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and I don't want to preach he is altogether lovely again because it took me 14 sermons the last time. I just want to look at his genealogy. And I want us to just think about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. The greatest marriage of all time was arranged by the Lord Jehovah Himself. And it's our marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know your husband? Do you know him well? Do you know his family? Both sides. Do you know both sides of his family well? Do you know his famous ancestors that he wants you to know about? I do not make up the content of this sermon. It's Matthew chapter 1. As soon as you start reading the New Testament of our Lord Jesus Christ, there it is. The Bible has a considerable number of prophecies and genealogical records for you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You, when we meet, when we meet and marry someone on earth, we go and meet their family. We inquire into their family tree a little bit. We look at family pictures. We may go meet the grandparents. We should. And we're going to be able to do that with the Lord Jesus Christ because God has included that as part of His Word. And it's an important part of His Word. And there's two different genealogies, one in Matthew 1 and one in Luke 3. These facts, like this right here in this first verse and, and what follows, were given to us because they're the things most surely believed among us for our certain faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, where we had been going this morning, and where I had prepared to go, and where I've been expecting to go, it says that with the mouth, we are to confess that Jesus is Lord. We are to confess the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God has raised Him from the dead. And so our purpose today is just to rejoice in a simple message and messages about Jesus, the Son of God, and to believe what the Bible record is of Him, and to rejoice in it. God chose these things and valued them important enough that out of 260 chapters in the New Testament, two of them would be the genealogy of Jesus Christ, constructed differently, placed differently in those Gospels, and running through different sons of David and pertaining to different parents or supposed parents of our Lord Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me. Luke chapter 1. And let's remind ourselves, we take things for granted because most of us have grown up in the Christian religion. Meaning that we have grown up believing that Jesus was the Son of God. And so we take some of these things for granted and we wonder, why does there have to be this genealogy with all these hard-to-pronounce names? Why? Because other men knew that they had to prove certain things to know that Jesus of Nazareth was truly the Son of God and the promised and prophesied Messiah. This is evidence that a Jew would have to have. There's confirming evidence for Gentiles. And we're going to get to that. But I I want right now to point out why these things are written. Now you know why John wrote, because we were there a couple of weeks ago. 1 John 5.13, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, 
that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. There isn't any place in the Bible where it says, These things have I written unto you that don't believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may get eternal life by believing on the name of the Son of God. Nowhere. We're told that in 1 John. It's to confirm us in our faith that Jesus is the Son of God. Here's how Luke put it. Now remember, Luke is the beloved physician. Luke was a medical doctor. Luke was a companion of the Apostle Paul. Those of you who are or should be memorizing Acts chapter 16 are going to find out that as you run down through that chapter, the pronouns switch from the third person to the second person because Luke starts including himself because he met up with Paul at Troas. And it's very interesting there. But, but Luke was a companion of Paul, so Luke was around Gentiles. And Luke had a particular Gentile that he cared about very much, and his name was Theophilus. And he writes to Theophilus in the Gospel of Luke, and he writes to Theophilus in the Acts of the Apostles. Those two books were written by Luke. The Apostle Paul quotes Luke in 1 Timothy chapter 5 as being part of the Scriptures. But that's another thought for another time. These, I want these first four verses, and I want them to light up your faith a little bit. We take things for granted because we've always been Christians in certain respects. And we want to think about those Jews that believed Jesus was a blasphemer and an imposter, and we want to think about those Gentiles that worshipped idols made with hands. When these fishermen came along, and these tax collectors like Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, and declared that God had sent His Son as the promised Messiah, and He was the Savior and Judge, Savior of His elect and Judge of the world, they needed to be able to prove it. And here's some of the proof that we're going to look at today. For as much, Luke starts out in Luke 1.1, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, Most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Is your confidence level that high? And you may say to me, yes, of course it is. And that's what scares me, so that you don't appreciate the Bible as much as you should. The Bible was written to convince men that hadn't heard the things you've heard since your mother's breast. Psalm 22 says, I was made to hope upon my mother's breast. Yes, it's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, we heard about the Lord Jesus from a child like Timothy did. But Theophilus hadn't. And so here comes Luke, along with 24 chapters here and 28 chapters in Acts, to convince him of the certainty of the things in which he had been instructed. Luke had preached to him, or Paul had preached to Theophilus, the truth of the gospel. But now he's going to put in writing things that Luke said, I've had a perfect understanding of from the beginning. Now, that's a medical doctor who's used to plumbing the depths of subjects as far as he's able, had plumbed the depths of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, 
because others have done it. They've taken in hand in verse 1 to set forth in order a chronological history, greater or lesser chronological history, of the Lord Jesus Christ and those things which are most surely believed among us. I thought I would do the same thing, even as they've delivered them to us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. And we understand that word there to be the living word because they're eyewitnesses of it. It's hard to be an eyewitness of the written word because it doesn't do that much. You can use your eyes to read it, but you're not an eyewitness of it. But they were eyewitnesses of the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stir up your faith to love the Lord Jesus Christ today. Luke wrote for this reason, I want you to know the certainty of the things that we believe. They have been established beyond refute. These books of Matthew and Luke were written when there were contemporaries of Jesus of Nazareth alive that could have refuted this record if the record was false. But it wasn't refuted. It wasn't overthrown. And so it's lasted for 2,000 years. When someone writes a book that is full of lies, it doesn't take the world by storm like the Bible does. Especially when it's dealing with the God of of, of the Bible. And the God that our deceitful hearts hate so much. Genealogies of Jesus Christ. A genealogy is a record of your ancestors. From father to son to son to son to son. In the Bible, women are not mentioned as part of the genealogy other than narrative little notes of who the man may have fathered the son by. As you know from reading Matthew chapter 1, it doesn't ever say that a father begat a woman and the woman begat a son. It just mentions the, the men that are involved and tacks on some very useful, very glorious statements about some women. Right. And trust me, we will deal with that today. Thank you, Lord. But the primary reasons for genealogies in the Bible are for the Lord Jesus Christ because it had to be proven that He was fulfilling the prophecies that the Bible declares about Him. From the very third chapter of Genesis, there is a prophecy given that Adam and Eve would have a male heir that would bruise the serpent's head. And so we've got to get Jesus of Nazareth traced back to Adam. And if you're a Gentile, do you want him only traced back to Abraham like Matthew did? No, I want him traced back to be the second Adam where I'm included. In Matthew, it said he's the son of Abraham. But you know, Abraham was said he was going to have a seed, and by his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You and me, in America, 2012, are blessed because of the seed of Abraham. And that's not because we sell F-16s to Israel. That's not the seed of Abraham over there. The seed of Abraham, Galatians 3.16 tells us, is Christ. And so we've got to be able to trace Jesus back to Abraham. Or the promise made to Abraham and his seed falls. Where were the rulers going to come that would rule the kingdom of God forever? What tribe? They're going to come out of Judah. And there was a prophecy given by Jacob on his deathbed to his fourth son, though he had many sons. And the genealogy wants us to know that. That out of 12, he didn't pick number 1, number 2, number 3, or 5. He picked number 4 because the scepter of ruling would not depart from Judah until 
Shiloh came. No, Neil Diamond doesn't know Shiloh. Get yourself cleared up right now. Those of you old enough to know who Neil Diamond is. Shiloh is the Lord Jesus Christ of the tribe of Judah. And then the Bible says over and over, he's the son of David. In fact, he's so much the son of David, the Bible just calls him David. In some places, long after David was dead, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel refer to David coming and rescuing the people of God and raising them up. And we're made part of the tabernacle of David, aren't we? From Acts chapter 15 and verse 16. And there's a throne in heaven. It's called the throne of David. And Jesus is the son of David. He's the root and offspring of David. He's got the keys of David. Do you know how much there's said about the Lord Jesus being like David? David was a magnificent king. David was a glorious king. But there's a greater than David in the, in the word of God. And the whole New Testament is about that greater than David. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've got to be able to trace Jesus of Nazareth back to David. What if he goes back to any other tribe and any other village other than Bethlehem? Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says he's got to come out of Bethlehem. And he's got to come from David. So these genealogies are in the Bible for Jew and Gentile alike to be established upon the courthouse of the world's records. And the Bible preserved them for us. But the records were easily obtainable by any Jew that was a contemporary. The Roman government had the records. When Joseph went to Nazareth to pay taxes, the Roman government knew that Joseph had to appear in that city. To Bethlehem. To Bethlehem. The Roman government knew it. But it's recorded for us and preserved for us. The Roman government and its records are long gone, but we have them here, and they're established by the fact that no one that could have overthrown them did overthrow them. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's just remind ourselves that genealogies are very dangerous and foolish after Jesus came. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul told Timothy right off the bat, I mean, in the first few verses of his first epistle, 1 Timothy 1.4, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Look at Titus chapter 3 and see in another pastoral epistle the same warning. Titus 3.9, but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. The Jews wanted to trace their ancestry back to Abraham to prove that they were going to be saved. The Jews wanted to be able to trace their ancestry back to Levi and Aaron to prove that they were legitimate priests. There's two examples of genealogies that don't matter. Because after Jesus Christ came, who was the great high priest? The Lord himself. And you yourself. He's made you royal priests. He's made you kings and priests. As I preached to you just a few weeks ago. So the genealogies didn't matter anymore. You know, the genealogies end with the Lord Jesus Christ. Who cares after that? From a Bible perspective. Because the one that the genealogies existed for was here. Right. 
But we're not, we're not making up endless genealogies. I'm not going to bring you a genealogy outside of Scripture and tell you that it makes me something special. I'm going to bring you the genealogies of Scripture that make him someone very special. The Son of God. Identifying ancestors may be an interesting study. Paul knew Timothy's, but all Paul made reference to Timothy's mother and grandmother for was to say the faith that was in young Timothy was first found in his mother and his grandmother in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He wasn't trying to prove that he was saved or anything like that, but that he had good parents, good mothers, good grandmother that had taught him to fear the Lord. You know, the Jews always were wanting to trust race and their nationality for their salvation. John the Baptist had to deal with it, and the Lord Jesus had to deal with it, and the Apostle Paul had to deal with it so much. And I've explained all that to you before, but that's why genealogies were one of their weaknesses. But we're not, we're not having a weakness. We're looking at the genealogy because it's proving that the promises and prophecies made about Jesus Christ were definitely fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Right. You know, inheritance and property in Canaan was by your genealogy. And it was very careful that they maintained those tribal distinctions and family distinctions within a tribe for property. And the priest had to descend from Aaron. It couldn't come just from Levi. had to come from Aaron. And in the book of Ezra, in the book of Nehemiah, even after the Babylonian captivity, 500 round years in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had already lost the lineage of the priests. Because in both places it tells us so, they could not prove that they were from Aaron. And so Ezra and Nehemiah drove them from the priesthood. That's where genealogies are in the Bible other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had four principal ancestors that I want to deal with today. And let's just take a look at the first one in Genesis chapter 3 before we break from this assembly. Genesis chapter 3. Oh, it's a wonderful verse. I hope that in the way that the gospel's preached in this church, you do not forget or overlook or miss the fact that there is a man in heaven who is Jesus of Nazareth. He is Jesus the Christ. He is Jesus the Lord. He is Lord of all. He is subordinate to God. But everything else God has put under His feet except He Himself. There's a man, Christ Jesus, as 1 Timothy 2.5 describes Him. We believe that Jesus Christ is fully God. He is fully Jehovah. I presented that on a Wednesday evening just a few weeks ago to you. Jesus is Jehovah. But Jesus is also a man. He's the God-man. He's the Word made flesh. He's God dwelling among us. Emmanuel. God with us. He's God was manifest in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 He was the fullness of the Godhead in a human body. Colossians 2.9 For in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead. But always remember that. We have a brother. We have a Savior and we have a Redeemer that is at the right hand of God right now. A man. A glorified man. We shall be glorified like Him. We shall look and appear like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And we're going to be glorified as He is. As 1 John tells us. In Genesis chapter 3, our first parents have sinned. And so the human race is thrown into 
legal condemnation and the human race is thrown into genetic condemnation in that everyone born to Adam and Eve through the Father has conveyed to them a sin nature. And as God confronts our first parents, He challenges Adam as to what he's done. And Adam told him what he had done and blamed it on the woman. The blame game had started way back in Genesis 3. Then the Lord turned to the woman and said, What have you done? And she said, The serpent made me do it and blamed it on the devil. Ever heard that one before? You know, children might pop out with that one sometime. The devil made me do it. Well, whether he made you do it or not, I can't reach him, but I can reach you. And I'm going to reach out and touch you right now for what you've done. Then the Lord God turned to the devil. And we have one fantastic prophecy. Adam and Eve are standing there watching this creature that God had made that was quite magnificent and had already deceived them into sin. And the Lord did this. Verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The Lord, Jehovah, creator of heaven and earth, told Satan, who had taken this serpent to tempt our first parents, and he told him that there was going to be enmity between Satan and the woman. Please notice that. It's the woman. Because there's not really going to be a man involved in the male seed that's coming. The enmity is going to be between the devil and the woman and her seed. She's not going to bruise the serpent's head. Her male seed is going to bruise the serpent's head. Contrary to what the RCC would like us to believe. And that Bob Jones University Art Gallery would like us to believe by posting paintings of the woman, Mary, standing on a serpent. Unbelievable. Look at this 15th verse, and this, just imagine for the thousands of years Genesis 3.15 has existed, and the many people that have put their hope and trust in this, whether they knew it from the scriptures or they knew it conveyed orally from Adam and Eve down through their parents. Because Moses didn't come for a long time. Moses didn't come for a long time. 2,500 years before he wrote this. But it was known. It was known what had been promised. That there was going to be a seed. We've got it recorded for us in writing. Between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's going to be male. A his pronoun. A male pronoun. His heel. The Lord Jesus Christ had a little heel wound by our sins and what Satan did to him. Just a temporary wound. But the Lord Jesus Christ dealt a death blow to the serpent on the cross of Calvary when he laid down his life to pay for our sins and deliver us who that all our lifetime were subject to bondage through fear of death. And the devil had got us under the bondage of death by getting our first parents to sin in the Garden of Eden knowing that he had 
condemn the whole human race to death. That is the first ancestor that the Lord Jesus Christ is promised to come from. Eve. The woman is going to have a male seed. And brethren, we all, you already know the conclusion to this story. But that's why it's simple. And that's why it should just lift our eyes in faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ, Mary had a son without a man. Mary had a male seed without a man by the supernatural overpowering power of God Almighty and the Holy Spirit. And we can trace him by a medical doctor all the way back to Adam. Praise his name. More after we take our break. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.